Welcome back to BNSSG Pod. Today I'm delighted that we've got Dr David Capehorn joining us, who's been at the forefront of work on the interface between primary and secondary care paediatrics in the South West for about 30 years now. He combined his work as Honorary Associate Specialist in the Children's Emergency Medicine in Bristol with his work as GP partner, and has been involved in the development of quite a few innovative new services throughout his career. He won the NHS Innovation Award for the Primary Care Paediatric Service he founded in South Gloucestershire in 2003, where he provided local advice and guidance support for GPs. Dr Capehorn and his team took thousands of referrals every year over 15 years, with the emphasis on keeping paediatric management within primary care. He's worked as an author and editor, publishing the first symptom-based textbook on paediatric accident and emergency medicine. He also formed part of the Clinical Guidelines Group for Bristol Children's Hospital. The reason I'm so excited to have him here with us today is that he recently wrote an article for Guidelines in Practice called Identify and Treat Urinary Tract Infections Promptly in Under-16s, which dissects the changes in the new NICE guidelines on UTI management in children. So hi David, welcome today. Thank you very much. I now feel very old. (laughs) (laughs) After all your experience. I'm curious, so what's your particular interest in this area? Well, I think it's it's developed over a period of time. Clearly, the type of role I have, which is this little sort of niche of specialising in, in seeing children in a primary care setting, is that one, having spanned such a long period of time, the guidance has changed. Mm. And it's been very difficult to keep up to date with changing guidance. And certainly, I remember as a very junior doctor in early paediatric jobs, lots of these children getting really quite intensively investigated and then guidance changing and we eased off a little bit. And there have been various changes in the NICE guidance, most recently last year. Trying to keep up to date with those is difficult. We also did an audit when we were working in the out-of-hours service, and I was providing some governance lead in paediatrics for the out-of-hours service, where we audited compliance with the old NICE guidance, and we discovered that only about one of nearly 300 cases was totally compliant with all the guidance. Wow, that's quite dramatic. Yes. Okay, okay so definitely an area of news then. Now, that's because it's difficult. First of all, you need to think of the diagnosis, but then you need to practically make the diagnosis. So trying to make things a little bit simpler for GPs, because we've got quite a difficult job to do. So mm. trying to break down the steps is part of the remit of the article, really. It breaks down into sort of five key steps. One, you've got to think about UTI as a possible cause. Two, you've got to collect the urine um, and correctly interpret your initial dipstick, which in itself is quite difficult. And thirdly, you've got to get them on a correct treatment and because of the NICE guidance, follow up to make sure that they're getting better and then decide which ones need investigation and referral once you've got them. And it's really quite complex and even I have to look up each time to make sure that I'm complying with the current guidance. So the idea of the article was just to make things a bit simpler for people. Yeah, well, it's certainly a lot more complicated than adults, isn't it? Where you have to it think is. about every age category, and it I is. certainly find myself looking it up. Yeah, it is. A standard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So today, David's going to talk to us a bit about when to suspect urinary tract infections in children, interpreting dipsticks, when to treat, when to follow up with imaging, and when to refer. So we're going to use a couple of cases to guide us through the NICE guidelines. Mm-hmm. So if we start with the first one, 10-month-old Emily is brought to you by her mother with a 48-hour history of being unsettled, with slightly reduced feeding and playing less than normal. She was born at term and previously fit and well, 
with no history of previous antibiotics, hospital admission or significant family history. On examination, she's pink, alert and resistant to your exam. Her temperature is 38.3. Observations are otherwise normal with a cap refill less than two seconds. There's no rashes and ENT, respiratory and abdominal exams are all unremarkable. So David, how would you approach this case? What would be your initial assessment? Well, the first thing to remember is that this is just a poorly child. Mm. It's a child with a feverish illness. So the first priority of management is to make sure that they're not sick. And we've got lots of guidance for that. We've got the nice guidance on considering feverish illness in, in under fives. So making an assessment of simple parameters, basic observations, your observation of the child. GPs are pretty good, actually, at having a gut instinct for which ones are making them jittery in terms of the children that present to us and relying on that gut instinct and the parameters that we get. So we're, we're looking for children that are not alert, that they may be a bit more mottled in nature, that maybe they're a bit tachycardic inappropriately when they're not particularly feverish. Those are the things that make us jittery that we're dealing with a very sick child. So the first thing to do with this child is see what parameters we've got to determine whether they're sick or not. And actually we're saying, she's actually fighting off your examination. That's usually a good sign mm. if they're fighting you off. Yes. Um, she's a bit miserable, but she's not particularly sick in that sense. And we've done a, a general examination and we see the clinical criteria that we haven't found signs of other illness. One of the things about the new NICE guidance is it specifies is if you find another cause, mm-hmm. you don't need to worry too much about UTI. So if you do find a raging tonsillitis, you know, if you do find clinical chest signs, you know, if the child's got obvious skin infection from infected nappy rash, you don't need to be worried too much about other causes. So the first thing is, we haven't found another cause. Hmm. So we're now thinking, okay, we've got a miserable, grumpy, slightly unwell child, but not sick, sick child, mm-hmm. uh, but we haven't got another cause. So we need to think, possibly urine might be the focus. We need to think about collecting urine sample. We also need to think about making the child feel a bit better and giving some paracetamol to make them feel a bit better because they're a bit miserable might be helpful in one in relaxing them and getting the urine sample. And then you face the practical issue of how you collect the urine sample. And NICE has come up with a little bit of help for us and it's saying that if you're not particularly worried that the child's that sick, that they need to go to hospital straight away, it's reasonable to ask the parents to return Mm -hmm. with a urine sample at a later stage but it recommends that that's done within a 24-hour timescale. So in this instance, perhaps if you saw the child in the morning surgery, it might be reasonable to say, go home, give some paracetamol, collect the urine sample, and I dare say you're going to ask me about how we do that. Yes, I mean, that's quite easier said than done often. We'll we'll talk about the practicalities there in a second. But then perhaps return after having had the paracetamol later with the urine sample, or if it's a later evening surgery and you're not too concerned about how unwell the child is, maybe to go home with the facility to collect overnight and return with the urine sample the next morning. Okay. And with Emily, yeah. it sounds like you're thinking about a urinary tract infection because she's got a fever and there's no clear there's no source other cause. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other times, any other useful guidelines that NICE has about when to think about UTIs in children? Yeah, I mean, there were some more specific ones and some more general ones. In fact, NICE has narrowed things down a little bit. I don't know if people are aware that there was a public health guidance note that said that we should consider in a whole range of presentations. NICE now specifies things like, obviously, abdominal pain, being uncomfortable, Mm. new onset wetting. There can be other causes of those, of course. So it's more the exclusion of other causes. And I've got a feverish child that's unwell whether they've got symptomatology or not 
So I think I would focus primarily on I've excluded other causes. I've still got an unwell child. Mm-hmm. Think urine. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. And tell us a bit more then. You clearly have some tips <laughs> yeah. about how we're going to advise these parents to collect their urine samples. The main tip is be patient. Okay. Um, because NICE still recommends clean catch as the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, I totally accept it's easier said than done. But the easiest way and the most practical difficulties we have are on the younger children, aren't they? The, the babies and the toddlers. The simple way is to clean out a potty. And mm-hmm. NICE says it's perfectly reasonable to do that with just washing up liquid and water clean out a potty and have it hovering underneath baby. Okay. And it, it will sometimes mean that baby's sitting on mum's lap with a potty hovering underneath for several hours. You can do it with a Tupperware bowl <laughs> cleaned out and then transferred to a pot. There are urine collection methods out there. Some are better than others. NICE recommends certain types of commercial urine collection techniques, but it still says clean catch is still the best. What it does say is don't do what historically some have done, is try to use a nappy sample, People mm-hmm. have talked about putting gauze pads inside their urine collection bags, went through a phase of being used. They nearly always get contaminated. And actually a contaminated sample can throw you off scent. And given the fact that one of the things to determine whether we investigate children is a correct diagnosis, the last thing you want is an uncertain diagnosis. So the, the short message I would give people is allow people time. So if I do see somebody in a morning surgery, I'll say, go home, take as long as you like this afternoon come back with a urine sample. People worry about having to get the urine sample earlier in the day so that it's sent off to the labs. Nice actually addresses that as well. Storage of urine samples Mm. is a key issue. As long as the dipstick is done within four hours of collection, it should be fairly accurate. When the urine sample comes back to us, if you store it in the refrigerator for a correctly temperature refrigerator, nice specifies four degrees, it can be stored in the refrigerator and it's still suitable for culture for up to 48 hours. Okay. And there is also, although we obviously initially collect in a plain urine bottle, once you've dipsticked it, you can transfer to the boric acid samples, mm-hmm. and then they're suitable for culture for up to 96 hours, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, according to the NICE guidance. So the main thing I would say is just be patient, wait that bit of time. Bear in mind, we've differentiated sick child yeah. gets referred. If you're thinking miserable, probably viral, but I need to think urine, then you've got time either that day or perhaps the next morning to get the urine sample. Okay. Just thinking about the investigations that you'd consider, you'd be doing a urine dipstick and starting from that point. Yeah, indeed. And would you start antibiotics straight away? Not necessarily. We've got guidance on how to interpret the urine dipstick. It partly depends on the age of the child. So under six months, you need to have a little bit of caution. If I talk in general terms about interpreting urine dipsticks, the most Mm. important or the nitrites and the leukocytes. What NICE says is in the absence of leukocytes and nitrites, pretty much across most stages, I'll give a proviso to that in a second, (laughs) you can probably be fairly certain to a 99% degree, anything you can in medicine, we never say 100% do it, that there isn't a urinary tract infection present. NICE also says that with nitrites and leukocytes both being present, there's a high probability of a urinary tract infection and can be treated. Where it becomes difficult is you have one or other. Mm. And that also depends on the age of the child. So again, to try to simplify things, if there are nitrites present, if it's a fresh sample, Mm -hmm. then again, there's a probability of a urinary tract infection. 
Bear in mind that the, the older the sample, the more the nitrites might have built up. The leukocytes is the difficult bit. Mm. <laughs> leukocytes alone, problem is they can appear in the urine for all sorts of reasons. They can appear there for viral illnesses. They can appear there in surgical conditions. And some of the horror stories you hear about people being incorrectly diagnosed with a urine infection and actually have some surgical condition going on. And the younger the child, it's possible, for example, NICE will specify that certainly the older children, the mm-hmm. three years old and up, if it's just leukocytes, you've got to have some good other evidence that this is a urine infection to treat as a urine infection. In all cases where you're thinking, okay, well, it might be clearly you should be sending the sample for microscopy culture and sensitivity later anyway. In the younger child, again, keep an open mind with regard to the urine infection. But the thing I would tell people to do is there's a little box. Mm-hmm. It's in the article. It's on the NICE guidance. There's a little box that says leukocytes and nitrites treat. No leukocytes and nitrites don't treat. And it tells you what to do at different ages. And it's very simple. Just laminate it and have it on your wall because then you can refer to it at all times. And those will both be linked at the end of this podcast. If anyone wants to have a little look, please do. And is there a younger age limit where you'd say, actually, let's not do a urine dip because it's not that helpful? It's Again, it's those groups where we're all taught to be cautious anyway. Because let's face it, under three months, a pyrexial illness in a child who looks poorly, you're going to be sending to hospital anyway because of the other guidance that we've got. Under six months, it can be a little bit difficult to determine the presence of a urine infection just on dipstick. Mm. They urinate quite frequently, and so you can actually have quite dilute urine, and Mm. so it might not pick up the nitrites. There is also the theoretical risk as well. I was talking to one of the renal consultants about this. Obviously, those younger children potentially might be the ones that are born with the abnormalities, and they might get slightly unusual urine infections when they do, and they might be with non-nitrite-producing organisms. So the combination of frequent urination, therefore perhaps potentially altering our dipstick interpretation Mm -hmm. and the fact that there might be perhaps bunnier bugs they might be born with abnormalities I would be really quite cautious under six months and I wouldn't rely on dipstick urinalysis I think if you've got a poorly child and you haven't got a source of the fever under six months is caution anyway as we're taught and under three months is definitely referred to hospital that's really interesting I was aware of the frequent urination and therefore the the lack of time to build up the, the nitrites and leukocytes but Really interesting that about, actually, there's a much higher likelihood of there being congenital yes, abnormalities and absolutely. not having nitrates for that reason. That's the first time I've heard that. So yeah. thank you, David. How would you proceed with Emily? Well, I think we've collected the urine sample. We've done mm-hmm. the urine dipstick, I think. We've, yeah. We've, so she comes back with a urine yeah. dipstick and she's looking bright and her observations are all nice and normal. Her urine's positive for nitrites, but negative for leukocytes. Okay, well... It's a relatively fresh sample, so on that mm. basis, I think we're thinking we haven't got another source. We've got nitrites there. She's at an age where I think we need to be treating as a urine infection. She's not sick enough to go to hospital, so we make sure the sample goes off to the laboratory. Yep. We make sure we store it correctly, as we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. The sample goes off to the laboratory, and we start treatment. Okay. And what would be the indications for sending for a culture rather than just treating? There are two or three reasons you would want to send for culture. One, obviously, your choice of antibiotic. In most mm-hmm. cases, it's still going to be the same as we might consider in adulthood, trimethoprim, nitrofurantoin, very occasionally amoxicillin. Mm-hmm. You'd want to be checking that you've chosen the correct antibiotic based on the culture. Yeah. But also the recovery. We're going to talk later about which children need follow-up. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the determining factor is how quickly they respond to the antibiotics. 
and a review after 48 to 72 hours is actually recommended and to have that culture result available would be sensible so i think in these instances where you're thinking this could be a urine infection but given the fact that nice says that the numbers of urine infections are going to determine the need for investigation you'd want to be sending them all for culture really Okay, so any children where you're thinking about a urine infection, just send them all for culture. I think they should be going for culture on treatment, yeah. Great, that makes it nice and simple for us at least. I I like simple guides. Anybody that's ever listened to me talk before knows that I simplify (laughs) it to the nth degree. With something that's complicated, (laughs) definitely. Okay, is there any advice that you'd give the family? There's the general advice that we give all families about worsening, Mm -hmm. obviously. Then in terms of follow-up, it's that you're going to telephone review after 48, 72 hours to make sure that they're recovering and then given the fact that we presumably diagnose the urine infection at this stage is sort of prevention of future urine infections and the factors that might be involved so I don't know if you want me to go into some yeah, of those things please now. Do. so obviously there's an association with constipation mm-hmm. so to make sure that the child isn't constipated that can be quite difficult based on historical reporting if we're talking about toddlers it's quite often that the toddler disappears into the corner to do their poo in the nappy and, and parents sometimes, you know, not aware perhaps that they're getting a little bit munged up. So pinning down on that would be sensible. Fluid intake, mm-hmm. again, making sure that they know that to be drinking plenty of fluid is, a, again, a preventative thing. And it's surprising how much, if you look at the NICE constipation guidance, it will give you the amount of fluid that children should be drinking at each age group. And it's a surprising amount. Even for a preschool child, it might be 1.2, 1.4 litres of water per day. We all know, particularly when children go to school, for example, that they'll often go all day. Anybody's got a school-aged child that comes home with their water bottle still full up because they haven't drunk it all day. So fluid intake is key. Wiping technique, obviously, particularly little girls, making sure that they know about single-stroke wipe front to back uh, is really important as well. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Thank you. And for Emily, her urine culture then comes back at 72 hours and shows E. coli. You telephone Emily's parents and that confirms that Emily's largely back to normal. How's that going to influence what you do going forward? Is there any need to image Emily? No, and that's one of the good things about the new NICE guidance is that they've very much eased up on first urine infections in what's called a typical urine infection. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to probably define what typical is as opposed to atypical. Uh, typical means it's a, a normal organism. Uh, so typically they're E. coli, the coliforms, and that there's recovery within 48 hours with the course of antibiotics. And if we fit into that age group, so we're over the six months age group and we've not got any other risk factors and we've recovered very quickly and we've got a typical organism, that's the end of the map. So in turn, you still talk about the prevention, drinking plenty, avoiding constipation, but that child then needs no imaging. And these are very common. It's estimated that 10% of girls will get a urine infection, so lots mm-hmm. of children were getting investigated previously that probably didn't need to. It's important to record it in the notes because I dare say we'll come on to later about when these things become recurrent. Yes. Um, it's important to record in the notes that that was a proven E. coli infection. So whilst we don't need to investigate now, clearly if it becomes recurrent, then we may need to investigate later. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, David. So moving on to our next case, we've now got three and a half year old Johnny who presents with urinary frequency and dysuria. He's had one confirmed E. coli infection six months ago when he recovered quickly and didn't need any follow up. Otherwise, he's been fit and well. Johnny seems chatty and well on examination with a heart rate of 100 and a temperature of 37.5. 
His urine is positive for leukocytes and nitrites. How are you going to manage him? What are you going to do? Well, again, I just remind everybody, the first thing is, is the child poorly? Is the Mm -hmm. child sick? That should be your first question with any of these cases. So actually those observations and parameters, and again, I would encourage everybody who can't remember what normal pulse rates are at different ages to have them pinned you know, on the wall. They're a nice little laminated cards that you can get with all the observations on it. By those parameters, he's chatty, he's interacting, he's not sick sick. Mm. So we can perfectly well manage this in primary care. He's had the one UTI in the past. Mm-hmm. We'll come on to the numbers game in a second about how many urine infections require investigation. But we treat this as a urine infection. So we send the sample for culture. Mm -hmm. We start some antibiotic. The only thing I would say is in terms of a child that might have had a recent urine infection, if they've had a course of trimethoprim in the preceding three months, NICE advises to change the antibiotic. And there are some recommendations on there. The other determining thing is whether this might be lower tract symptoms or upper tract symptoms. Because we haven't talked yet about if a child's perhaps that little bit poorlier, but you might still be considering oral antibiotics. So maybe they've got some loin pain, maybe they've got a little bit more systemic and well, they're not quite sick enough to go to hospital. Mm. And you might be thinking there's upper tract involvement. Again, look at the guidance, but that might suggest that perhaps using cephalexin or colomoxiclav would be a, a reasonable alternative. Clearly, some of those children with upper tract symptoms might also be poorlier. Mm-hmm. So you might also be considering referring to hospital anyway. But yeah. there's that in-between ground that you might need to be considering. So start the antibiotics and obviously await the culture and do your follow-up after 48 hours with a telephone call. Has he recovered? Okay. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask that. So he's obviously quite <laughs> bright and chatty, but you're yeah. still going to follow him up, are you? Yeah, absolutely. Because again, part of the definition of being a typical UTI is the mm. recovery or the large recovered within 48 to 72 hours. Just a quick call to say, is Johnny better? And also to remind you to look for the urine result as well. Do you think that's actually worth the phone call to ring them rather than just say to parents, if he's not better in 48 hours, get in contact? I personally Mm. think, actually, if I'm diagnosing a urine infection, Mm -hmm. given the importance of recording, this was full recovery. I would personally do that actively rather than passively. Different matter for other illnesses. You know, if you're treating a child for an ear infection and you've got a sensible set of parents, it's perfectly reasonable to say, look, you contact me if he's not getting better. I think in this instance where you're making a diagnosis like this, it's actually within the NICE guidance to say mm. you should follow up. I don't think they need necessarily to be face-to-face, but I think a quick telephone call is sensible. Yeah. Okay. So Johnny remains well and his symptoms resolve within 48 hours. His urine grows proteus. Does that influence your management at all and what investigations, if any, you're going to choose to do? It does, because that now meets the definition of an atypical urine infection mm-hmm. so again i stressed before about the typical urine infection is coliforms the e coli type ones that makes up about 85 percent of them the gi bugs aren't they so if you get a bug that's a non-e coli mm-hmm. then that technically puts them into the atypical group the atypical groups to be honest many of the criteria listed in nice are not relevant to general practice because it will say things in, in the nice guidance it will say a Anybody in the atypical group would be things like uh, a septicemic child. Well, clearly, we're not going to be getting them in primary yeah. care. One hopes not, anyway. Uh, children with an abnormal creatinine. Well, again, most of us, unless they've already got a pre-existing problem, don't know what a child's creatinine is. So many of those criteria don't apply to primary care. There's two big ones that do, mm-hmm. which is, one, does the child recover within 48 hours, as we've stressed before? If they don't fully recover, that puts them in the atypical group. 
and the other one is a non-E. coli organism, puts them in the atypical group. And the atypical ones, at the very least, need to have an ultrasound scan done. Okay, and how are you going to go about doing that ultrasound scan? We can book that ultrasound okay. scan ourselves because at this age, you can just have a routine ultrasound scan. It's recommended by NICE within six weeks. Mm. Now, I'm well aware that there'll be people listening to this and saying, well, I can't get the ultrasound and it's difficult to do so. The local guidelines vary, obviously, don't they? But one would hope that in most areas that you can get an ultrasound within six weeks. If the ultrasound is normal, mm-hmm. he doesn't need further follow-up because he doesn't at this stage meet the criteria for recurrent urinary infection, which is the other big group. NICE differentiates the amount of investigation we do by whether they are typical or atypical, mm-hmm. or whether they are one-off or recurrent. But there's quite a strict definition of what the recurrent means, which is why it's important to make our diagnoses. The recurrent, according to NICE, is three episodes of lower urinary tract infection, or one episode of upper urinary tract infection with uh, two lower urinary tract infections. So that's what meets the definition of recurrent. And if you fall into the recurrent group, then that leads you on to a whole series of other investigations. Mm. To be honest, from a GP's point of view, you're going to be referring those. And one of the complicators that NICE creates for us and the practical issue for us in general practice is that we'll often say that with those atypical ones that are not responding Mm -hmm. and with the recurrent group, it recommends that we get ultrasound scans within the acute episode. Mm-hmm. In practical terms, for a GP, pretty darn near impossible. Mm-hmm. The counter-argument to that is, to be honest, if we've got a child and they're not responding to our antibiotics, yes. in practical terms, I think we're going to be referring them anyway. Yes. And then it would be up to our secondary care colleagues to book that ultrasound during the acute episode. So I think from a practical, simplistic GP point of view, mm-hmm. that's what that telephone call is for. The 48 to 72 hour, are you getting better? Yes, great, I'm now in charge. Yes, <laughs> If yeah. you're not getting better, no, now the hospital's in charge. Yeah. That simplifies things, I think. It does. Yeah, that, <laughs> makes, it, that makes it lovely and clear. <laughs> and for recurrent, I've got in my head that it's either three lower urinary tract infections. Sorry, it's one or, upper, yes. Or two, yes. where at least where one, one of one them is, is the upper. upper. Yeah, you're That's quite right. right. You've corrected Perfect. me. So, yes, no, three lower urinary tract infections. Yeah. But if, if you have two and one of them involves those more systemic symptoms, yes. they've perhaps been a little bit poorly. I think NICE actually defines it by degree of fever, which... I think it's a little bit questionable because, you know, we often say that height of the fever actually isn't a very good guide. But NICE does actually say if you've got systemic symptoms, maybe some sickness, some rigors, temperature 38, maybe some loin pain. Very often those are the sick ones that we're already sending in anyway, aren't they? But yes, the strict definition is two with one involving upper urinary tract or three lower. Perfect. Right, brilliant. And then can you talk us through who requires ultrasounds or MCUGs or DMSAs? Or is it not really relevant to us because actually we just need to know when do we refer to secondary care? I think that's the key. And I think the take-home message, I would say, is that we're dealing with that group. And it's it's a slightly wider group now for the reasons I said. Mm-hmm. Nice has said from six months onwards that if they've had a typical urine infection mm-hmm. with the typical organisms and they've recovered well, they probably need no investigation. If they've got atypical, in other words, they're, they're not recovering, mm-hmm. they're probably going to be referred because they're not recovering and therefore it's going to be hospital responsibility. But yeah. if they fall into the atypical because they've grown an unusual organism, mm-hmm. they can have a routine ultrasound scan, but they will need referral if the ultrasound scan is abnormal. Mm-hmm. NICE says if your initial imaging is normal, then that's fine, you don't need to take anything any further. And if they meet the recurrent criteria, 
Yeah. I'd probably try and help my hospital colleagues when I did the outpatient referral to say this child's had, on our definitions, three lower tract or one yes. upper tract and lower tract. I'll book the ultrasound for them, but say, look, actually, they meet the recurrent criteria. I think they're probably going to need the bladder emptying scan and possibly a DMSA, and you might need to consider others. I'm going to major an outpatient referral. Brilliant. Can you remind us, just for any of us who need a little bit of a refresher in terms mm. of those scans, what are we actually looking for with them? So in terms of if parents are asking, mm. you know, what are they likely to investigate yep. and why are they doing it? What can we advise parents? Okay, there are two or three things. The, the, the ultrasound scan is, is a picture, isn't it? You mm. know, you've got two kidneys with tubes attached to them that go down to the bladder. Just a simple you, structure. Just a simple structure. That's really what it, it's doing. It's potentially possible that it might show up some scarring on a sensitive scan. And I'll talk about the significance of that because I spoke to Dr. Jan Dudley, one of the nephrologists, and she was quite keen that I should point something out about scarring. So please remind me if my Mm -hmm. mind wanders to come back to that. The DMSA scan is much more sensitive, obviously, in terms of detecting those scarrings and the MCUG, more about the psychoureteric reflux, Mm -hmm. which people will know about, which is basically when the urine doesn't sit in the bladder and goes back upwards, and it can create hypernephrosis and all the complicators of it. So those are the reasons for the investigations. Now, I've remembered myself without prompting. When I wrote the article, I made sure clearly that I didn't step on anybody's toes, and I took appropriate advice from some of my hospital colleagues to say, please read this and make sure you're happy. Historically, we always got told that the reason for early diagnosis of urine infection and picking these things up is to avoid scarring of the kidneys and the complications from scarring because the urine infections might cause scarring. The broad statement is true, but Dr. Dudley was the pains to point out to me that the vast majority of children that have kidney parenchymal defects, you know, mm. that, that have these things, they're congenital. So the problem is already there. It's just made worse. They're more prone to urine infections and it's made worse. So whilst I don't want to destroy the actual message that it's really important to you know, have prompt diagnosis, what we're trying to avoid is obviously children getting sick, developing sepsis, but also later complications like hypertension, acute kidney injury, even chronic kidney disease, even complications of pregnancy. It's been shown that children that have urine infection are more risk to go on to have preeclampsia, for example. Gosh, how interesting. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we're trying to avoid those later complications of life yeah. by making sure that we treat them promptly. Okay. And do you have any easy ways to remember when to do the ultrasounds or do you just look it up each time? Yeah, that's the thing. I cheat. You I do. Look them up. Okay. <laughs> so definitely don't be I, I, afraid no, to look no. it up. It was interesting. I, I won't name the name of the consultant concerned, but in the course of preparing the article, I said to him, have you got an easy way to remember which one? You no, know, I look them up every time. Yeah, and um, there is a lovely table, isn't there? Is. there? In the NICE yeah. guidance yeah, and in precisely. the Bristol Children's Hospital guidelines and, in fact, in your <coughs> article as well. Yeah, so there's lots of places to just have a quick reference I to. I have to say, particularly at my advancing age now, mm. just double-check on everything because I get things wrong. You corrected me earlier on as well, actually, on, on something. This is a topic I know about and you corrected me. So. Yeah, point for that. Excellent. <laughs> Great. And do you have any particularly useful resources for either primary care clinicians or for families? The, the NICE guidance actually isn't too bad. I mean, nice guidance sometimes can be a bit turgid to read can't Mm. it because of the way it's written i'd like to think the article that i wrote is is fairly clear you've read it it's a much easier read than the nice guidelines yes that was the idea of it if i didn't achieve that then it was a complete waste of time the bristol children's hospital guidelines in general 
are pretty good. The resources for GPs there, I've contributed to some of them and I can tell you it takes a long time to get agreement on things. So I would certainly encourage people to use it. But the simplest thing is there are certain boxes and tables, whether you get it from my article or the nice guidance, mm -hmm. I would simply laminate the little boxes and have them pinned upon your notice board because yeah. just a quick glance up at those, that's the easiest way to remember. And what about for families? So you chatted earlier a bit about yeah. prevention. Any yes. useful resources to signpost families there, to there? There are some useful leaflets. If you can, you know the, the ERIC website, there is some guidance there on the amount of fluid that children should be drinking, for example, and the wiping techniques. But I think the main thing is for them to be just be aware is that, that constant reinforcement mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter how frequently your child goes to poo each day, but it should be fairly easy for them to go and it shouldn't be uncomfortable. So it's it's those simple reminders. And my other half got very embarrassed the other day because I gave a, a lecture to a group of GPs and I stood in front of a collected group of 200 GPs and demonstrated how we should be telling parents how little girls should wipe themselves, which caused great embarrassment for my other half because mm -hmm. I stood in front of all the GPs. But again, I have no problem standing in front of them saying, look, please get your child to wipe standing up rather than sitting down because it's much easier in a single stroke downwards. So all those simple techniques and don't be afraid to actually discuss those things at the time. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. And do you have any particular key take-home messages that you'd like to share? I think the first thing is think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, the most important thing is that you've got a, a feverish child who's unwell for a reason. You haven't got another focus. We all know that the most of them are going to be viral illnesses, but it does no harm to say that, look, over the next 24 hours, here's a pot, pop it back to us. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is think about it. The second is make sure you're interpreting the dipstick, your analysis correctly. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get misled by all the little lights on the dipstick when we put it in. A little bit of microscopic hematuria isn't that uncommon in children who get a bit sore? Yeah. You know, little boys get balanitis, little girls get vulvovaginitis. So it's not unusual to have perhaps one or two pluses of microscopic hematuria. That mm -hmm. won't necessarily indicate a urine infection for the reasons we've said without looking for the nitrites and the leukocytes. Mm -hmm. So the nitrites and the leukocytes are key. Clearly think wider. There are times when, for the reasons we've said, you can't rely on the urine dipstick, but those are the key. Have that little box laminated. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. And I think my key take-home messages are the tip with the potty. That's really useful. So just knowing that that actually can be considered a relatively clean catch if yes. you use a potty and you wash yes. it well beforehand. That's a great tip to be giving parents. The breaking down the atypical, because it can be quite confusing in the NICE guidelines yes. with all the things that they list as classing as atypical, but actually in primary care, what really matters is, does it get better within 48 hours? And is it a non-E. coli infection? Because that's essentially what matters to us as an atypical infection. Having a bit of caution with if they just have leukocytes. Yeah. So always good to have that reminder that if there's no nitrites and there's just leukocytes, your ears need to prick up a little bit. Yes, it could Absolutely. be a urine infection, but actually there's a long list of differentials that it could be. So you just need to be a bit cautious there. Sending a culture for everybody. So again, I think the NICE guidelines can be a bit confusing where yeah. you essentially send a culture for almost everything, but, but not, not quite, quite everything. And yeah. actually, it's much more practical to say yeah. in children, if you suspect a urine infection, send a urine culture. And that can mm -hmm. include if there's no leukocytes and no nitrites, but you've still got a high clinical index of suspicion of a UTI, still send a culture. And then the last one for me is for the ultrasound. So when I look at the tables of imaging, mm -hmm. it can all again be quite confusing and I don't necessarily remember it. And it's changed a bit from the last guidelines to this one. So any sort of hazy memory in my mind Absolutely. is now getting quite confused. So just look it up. 
and that's okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much, David. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us today and do look out for upcoming monthly episodes on primary care appropriate paediatric topics. Do leave feedback and add comments about topics you'd like to hear. The contents of these podcasts are for educational purposes aimed at primary care healthcare professionals only. They do not substitute professional medical advice or consultations with healthcare professionals. Information presented is the opinion of the healthcare professional interviewed based on their interpretation of best practice and guidelines at the time of the interview. It is the listener's responsibility to compare information given with up-to-date national and local guidelines. The BNSSG Training Hub, Ruth Bowen and interviewees are not liable for any clinical decisions made as a result of this podcast.